Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. So reading from uh, verse 1 of Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. God, thank you so much, Joe. Do you want me to turn it off, yeah? Good evening, everybody. It's great to be with you. I hope you're all doing well. Uh, it's a bit warm, isn't it? Uh, sorry we've got a double bill of, like, Yorkshire lads. I was like, maybe a bit of difference would have been maybe not a Yorkshire lad to read the Bible. But you had the two of us, a little double team, didn't you? Like the Chuckle Brothers, aren't we, mate? Um, my name's Dan. It's great to be with you this evening. I'm part of the team here. Uh, work here as worship pastor. I've got a brand new lanyard to prove it. Thank you for that. Uh, it's amazing. Um, I lead the worship and tech team here. And did you know, a little bit of trivia for you, the worship and tech team is the largest volunteer team in St. George's. Yeah, I know. We've got 62 people in our team, and that's absolutely amazing. So thank you to you guys if you're part of that. You're honestly incredible, and you make my job a joy. And it's a privilege to lead that team, uh, to get to help raise up some worship leaders and team, and to work alongside amazing people. And a little shout-out to Sarah and Callum, my amazing interns, who do such a good job helping me lead the team. They're incredible. They're incredible. Thank you guys for all you do. Uh, a little bit about me. I'm from Leeds. I'm married to the lovely Ellie May, who's our youth worker up there. Um, we've got a cat. Oh, yeah, indeed. We've got a cat called Samson. He's the man of the house, isn't he? Um, and we're in the process of moving house, actually, at the moment, aren't we? So we're living out of boxes. So my prayer for this evening is that this talk is somewhat less chaotic than the state of our house at the moment. Then we will have succeeded if that is the case. So, this is the first in our new Psalms sermon series. Um, and as a way of introducing the Psalms, I'm going to zoom out to the book as a whole and break down what the Psalms are and how they're structured. I figure that might be helpful as we start this series. So, you may know that the Psalms are a collection of 150, nice round number, poems, songs, and prayers that we find in the middle of the Bible. Um, around half of them are connected to this guy, King David. You may have heard of him. He's pretty famous. And he was a poet and a musician, and he wrote or was involved in quite a lot of them. Um, others were written by musicians, poets, uh, worship leaders in the temple at the time, um, some of whom are credited and are printed in the book. Some of them are anonymous, of course, and we don't know exactly who wrote them. The Psalms are split into five books. You may have seen them written in your Bible um, with the little headings. Psalms 1 and 2, the first two, time, first two psalms, they act as a little bit of an introduction to the book as a whole, which I think is absolutely amazing. And these psalms lay out a couple of key things. Psalm 1 says, Blessed are those who delight and meditate on the law of the Lord. And Psalm 2 comes out with a promise that a Messiah is coming and that all those who take refuge in him will be blessed. 
So right at the start of this amazing book, we have a focus on the law and we have a focus on Jesus and a blessing upon those who recognize those two things. Jump into the end of the book. Um, the final five Psalms act as a bit of an outro, which is pretty cool. They're poems of praise to the Lord. Each one begins with the word hallelujah, which is a Hebrew command to praise Yah. Now, Yah is a shortened word for Yahweh. Did you know that? Which means God. So that traditional historic word for God, Yahweh, is shortened to Yah in hallelujah. I think that's absolutely amazing. I love that even God gets a shortened nickname in the songbook in the Bible, kind of similar to our and parallel to our songs today. Thematically, the Psalms are the soundtrack that accompanied God's people throughout history, leading people through times of struggle and suffering, as well as times of blessing and thanksgiving. They show us every emotion in life. They show us something of our relationship with God, how honest we can be with him, and how faithful he is to us. One of the reasons the Psalms are so powerful is that they capture the full range of human experience and emotion. And that's kind of made simpler by the Psalms generally fitting into one of two categories, Psalms of lament and Psalms of praise. You may have heard of those two. Some of the Psalms are quite obviously one or the other, and quite a lot of the Psalms have a little bit of both in, a little bit more complex, take you on a journey. On the whole, in the Psalms, we find themes of heartfelt adoration and praise devotion and love for God, joy, celebration, and thanksgiving for what God has done. But we also find themes of anger and frustration and doubt, pain and confusion about how horrible the world is, and cries out to God to do something about it. So that's the book of Psalms as a whole. Hopefully that's a helpful summary. What about Psalm 113, so beautifully read by Joe? That's the psalm we're looking at today. It's situated near the beginning of book five. You know, we talked about those books. Um, and we're really getting into psalms of praise at this point. We've come through some of the lament earlier in the book, and we've arrived at these books of and chapters of thanksgiving, of joy, and of celebration. We'll have a chance during this sermon series to look back at some of those other psalms and pick up on some of those other themes as well as this series goes on. Some context which I hope you'll find as interesting and actually as mind-blowing as I did. Psalms 113 to 118 are known as the Egyptian Hallel. That's those five psalms. A little bit of a history lesson for you here. And that's mainly because of their connection to Passover celebrations commemorating Israel's deliverance from Egypt. The psalms of the Egyptian Hallel were sung as part of the Passover ceremony around the Passover meal. So it's believed that Jesus and his disciples would have actually sung and said these very psalms, these very words in the Passover celebrations of their time. And that includes, of course, the Last Supper the night before Jesus died. I thought that was absolutely incredible that these words were said and sung by our risen saviour, Jesus Christ, at such an important time in his story as well. Psalm 113 is the third psalm in a row to begin with the word hallelujah or praise the Lord, that word we've talked about. It completes the hat trick after Psalms 111 and 112. And again, it has that shortened version of Yahweh. So remember that every time you sing the word hallelujah, we sung a thousand hallelujahs tonight, didn't we? We sung many thousands of hallelujahs, essentially. You're speaking the name of the Lord, that word Yah. Now this sermon has the title doxology. 
Um, and doxology comes from the Greek word doxa. It's a language lesson as well. Who knew? And doxa means glory. You may have heard of that word before. Other synonyms include splendor, brightness, magnificence, excellence, preeminence, dignity, grace, majesty. The list goes on. And it's also used historically to mean praise and worship. Often a liturgical expression of worship in practice. The suffix ology, of course, has to do with the study of something. We see that in words like biology, the study of living things, or archaeology, the study of um, past cultures. And then because every day is a school day, should we go through a couple that you may never have heard of? A few ologies for you. Are you ready? Felinology, of course, the study of cats. Uh, we have a cat, and I've no idea what he's doing half the time, so we could do with a bit of felinology in our lives. Garbology, the study of refuse and trash. So that's a bit disgusting, isn't it? I wouldn't like anyone to study our trash too closely. Ludology, 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 ludology. That's the study of games and play. Isn't that amazing? Because of the game Ludo, of course. You're like, oh yeah, bing. And finally, campanology, the study of the art of bell ringing. I thought that was weirdly specific and relevant to us here at church. I sadly we don't have bells. Maybe next year's budget will allow for some bells and we'll get a ministry going. So we could literally define this word doxology, putting those two things together as the study of glory or the study of praise. And that's exactly what we're going to do briefly today. I've broken this psalm down into two sections, kind of the first section, verses one to three, and then the rest of the psalm as well. And these will help make up our two main points for today. So my first point, this psalm is calling God's servants to continually praise him. And for this section, we're going to use this psalm as a springboard to look specifically at why we sing, which is probably the form of praise and worship used most commonly in the Christian church in the West. And of course, we do it quite a lot here at St. George's. We just did it an amazing time of sung worship. And I've got six simple reasons to help us understand why we sing so much as part of our worship and our praise, and why we tend to use that particular expression of worship, giving glory to God. If you've been an intern over the past couple of years, or you came to our worship school, or indeed you're on the kids team and you heard this content literally this week in a video, I can only apologize. Hopefully the Lord will bring you something fresh as I give it again. So we've got six reasons why we sing. The first reason is because it is biblical. The Bible, and of course this passage, Psalm 113, simply command us to sing. It's not really optional for us as Christians. It's something that we buy into when we follow Jesus. And it's not just a command for those who are talented, for those who can sing well, for those who enjoy it. No, it's actually a command for all of us, even if we can't sing at all and we're tone deaf. It doesn't matter. The Lord calls us to sing in the Bible. The first stanza of this psalm talks a lot about praising God. It says, praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And other psalms get even more specific about singing itself. Psalm 33, let me give you some examples. Sing joyfully to the Lord. Psalm 95, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. And even the New Testament letters get in on the act. Ephesians 5.19, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. James 5.13 poses the question, is anyone happy? And then it answers it by saying, let them sing songs of praise. I absolutely love that. If you're happy, 
Release it in a song of praise. That's our command from the Bible. Because it's biblical. That is why we sing. And of course, we could end the list there. We need no more reasons. That is surely enough that it's biblical. But tonight, for one night only, I've got five bonus reasons as to why we sing. Number two, because it is effective. Songs are a great way to remember things. I don't know if you went to school, some of you, and if some of your lessons you learn things via means of a song. I know that I did. When I think of these, I think of my French lessons, I think of learning the alphabet, I don't know if it's the same with you. A, B, C, D, U, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, F, A. You know, you know this one. Or if you want to ask someone when their birthday is, I don't know why you'd want to do that specifically, but it was anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. I thought I was older than most of you, but uh, the some of the same generation. If the melody is strong and catchy, then you'll remember the song. Then all we've got to do in our church as worship leaders and my job as worship pastor is to make sure our worship songs are good and speak truth about what we believe. Our songs are a means of praising God, but they're also a means of theological explanation. We often get a lot of our theology from songs, don't we? They're the things that we hear on repeat and they're the things that we call back to memory. The things we know about God, who he is, what he's done. They often come from songs. I've heard it said, no matter how good the sermon is, the people will go out singing the song. So again, that's a challenge to me as I help steer which songs we use on a Sunday to make sure we're feeding the church with the right stuff and helpful theology. And it's also a challenge to me this evening as I preach to try and make it interesting so that hopefully you'll remember some of this and not just the songs with their catchy melodies. So that's number two, we sing because it is effective. Number three, we sing because it is emotive. Music is one of the highest forms of human expression. I think music can take people to a deeper level. It can unlock something, perhaps that words alone can't. Take the example of film music. I'm sure you can think of like epic scenes in films. I often go to Lord of the Rings. I think of the fellowship. They're out on the plains in New Zealand and the epic orchestra's striking up. Watch out for those orcs, you know. The music's really adding to that vibe. And then you think of big franchises like Star Wars. You think of Darth Vader getting off the ship, you know, you know, and he's walking down. And of course, his motif strikes up, doesn't it? Dun, 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 dun. And that just adds to the drama, doesn't it? If the music wasn't there, sure, he's a pretty scary guy, but it would just be a guy wearing a cape, breathing heavily. But the music comes along and it adds to that drama. Often think, think of songs as well that help us process emotions and help us to get through either joyful times or tough times. Think of that scene from Bridget Jones where she's on the sofa with Ben and Jerry and she's singing, <laughs> Come on, all together. No, no, you don't. <laughs> oh, it's getting emotional, all right? I'm feeling it. Prime Minister at the end. Uh, I'll come and pray with you if that's the case. When we sing worship songs, we combine intellect with emotion. God is a God of relationship, and relationships require emotion. They're not just formulaic. It's not just about formula, transaction, theory. It's not about those things. It involves our hearts as well as our heads. And just a disclaimer, our worship teams, who I represent this evening, we're not here to manipulate the congregation with the emotional use of music. That's not what we're doing. But we instead want to use music as a gift to help you, lovely ladies and gentlemen, to offer your worship to God. Our worship, of course, is always an invitation. It's not a command. It's an invitation. We invite you to engage with it. So that's number three. 
It is a motive. Number four, we sing because it is unifying. Singing together with others, with our church family, it builds unity. Maybe you can think of the example of being at a football match. I support Leeds. It's a tough time. We've been relegated to the championship. Cry. Prime Minister at the end again. Um, or maybe you've been to a gig and there's thousands of people and you're singing the same songs, the same words, the same melodies at the same time. And you don't feel like you're on your own in those moments. You feel like you're part of the crew, don't you? You feel like you're part of the team and you belong in that place. And it's the same thing with church. Singing songs together is one of the benefits of church's gathering. We can worship alone in our homes, in our bedrooms. Of course, that's really important and those are beautiful times of intimacy with the Lord. But coming together as a church family to sing praise and to worship him is something altogether more powerful. And that's why the church exists, so that we can come together and do that. We sing because it is unifying, number four. Number five, we sing because it is transformational. I've heard it said that to worship is to change. And this is often true. When we sing, when we worship, when we praise the Lord, we can see transformation. We see healing, freedom, the breaking of chains, maybe the chains of addiction. Situations changed, new perspective found, all as we put God back on the throne, back in the center of our lives. And often those amazing things happen when we pursue God and pursue his presence in times of sun worship. Also, some of the themes of our songs, they can fuel us, they can inspire us to go out into the world and make a difference and speak his praise and to evangelize the nations. And of course, when we worship, when we spend time in his presence, we become more like him. We see that in our lives, don't we, at times? Those people that you spend time with regularly, maybe you had someone at high school or uni or whatever it is, a colleague. When you spend time with someone, you start to align parts of your life. Maybe it's your, uh, the sayings you use, the mannerisms, the, the turn of phrase you use, or even your accents. Um, my wife is from Essex. Isn't that right, darling? Isn't that right, babe? She's from Essex. Her, the in-laws are here tonight as well, so they're, you know. But we've ingrained her into the Yorkshire life, and I'm happy to say that sometimes she might drop her U sound, or she might shorten her A sound. She might not say grass, but she might say grass. And um, I think you were at Hindu the other week, and someone thought you were actually from Leeds, so I was like, yes, mission accomplished. That's it. It's done. The work is finished. And it's just like that when we spend time in the Lord's presence. When we pursue him in this way, we become more like him. So we sing because it is transformational. And our final reason why we sing, our sixth reason, because it is eternal. There is a lasting and eternal nature of God's praise. Psalm 113, the psalm we're looking at tonight, it says, from this time forth and evermore, from the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. God's praise is so much bigger than just us, isn't it? It's been going on long before we were around and it'll continue to go on long after we're gone. When we sing, it's not just us singing here and now, but we join with the angels and saints in that eternal song of heaven. We plug into that eternal network of worship that's been going on forever, for eternity. And our singing is also a picture and a pattern of what is to come. It's gonna be part of our heritage forever. Occasionally in the past, I might have heard a congregant semi-complaining that some of our songs are a little bit repetitive. You know, we might sing the chorus three times. The chorus itself might repeat a line a few times. You know, your love never fails. You know how it is. There's a bit of repetition, of course there is. 
But I thought, uh-oh, you're going to struggle when you get to heaven. And you're singing these phrases on repeat over and over for eternity. I always like to go to Revelation 4 and 5, that throne room picture, where there's just elders and saints falling on their face, crying out, singing praise to the Lord forever, 24-7, 365. Not that time is a construct in those places, but they sing these words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. So when we worship him here and now on earth in St. George's in 2023, we're actually practicing and preparing for what is to come for eternity. So there we go. There are some, some reasons, six reasons, and that hopefully gives you a bit of a framework for how and why, as God's servants, we're called to continually praise him and something specific as well about why we sing. But why are we called to praise God continually? Well, let me move on to my second point and on to the rest of Psalm 113 to talk about reasons to praise God. The rest of this psalm is full of reasons to praise God. And each of the next two stanzas, um, they help break them down for us. So the next stanza, verses four to six, speak of the greatness of God's glory. It says this, the Lord is exalted over all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look over the heavens and the earth? God is exalted over and above humans, above the nations, above his own creation, the earth, the solar system, the universe, all of that stuff. But not only is he above those things, the second line of verse four states that he is above even the heavens, above the spiritual realm. That absolutely blew my mind. God being so big and so highly exalted that he dwells and operates not only outside of what we can see and touch, but also outside of the spiritual realm. Just when you thought there were only two realms, there's a third realm that God operates in which is outside of all of that. That absolutely blew my mind. He's in a custom realm, he's in a penthouse. The Lord is highly exalted. He even has to stoop down, it says in the psalm, to look over the heavens and the earth. And that word stoop, that has power, doesn't it? It's not simply bending down or leaning over to have a look. It shows us just how high the Lord is. And I'm not the spring chicken that I once was. This idea of stooping, I mean, if I'm going down, I might make a noise now when I come back up. I've, I've gone beyond the age of 30 now. And that just shows us how far the Lord is willing to go, that he would stoop to even look over the heavens and the earth. The psalmist says in verse five, who is like our God? This question shows that nothing exists that is even comparable to how high God is exalted. When we think of power and authority in this world, I think we often think of our social standing perhaps our wealth our success we might even think more globally to those superpower nations whatever they're up to in the world a lot of them make the news but have a look at this quote from Charles Spurgeon he's a clever man and he words it so well though the Gentiles knew him not yet was Jehovah their ruler their false gods were no gods and their kings were puppets in his hands so these rulers, these nations, the wealthiest, the most successful in our society, none of them are comparable and nothing exists 
that is greater than he who dwells on high. And yet, after verses four and five, exalt God to the highest place. Verse six comes next, and that word stoop, that comes immediately after. And this is God humbling himself to behold and care for his creation, especially us as humans. Which leads us to the final stanza of this psalm. These verses speak of God's care for the lowly. He raises the poor, he lifts the needy, he brings joy to the childless woman. To me, this has huge parallels with Jesus. That when we were down, when we were broken, when we were orphans, we were lost in our sin and needed rescue, God sent his one and only son to come from heaven to earth to take on our nature, all of our sin, all of our shame, that he would seek and save all of humanity. Here he humbled himself upon a cross. He made himself low, poor, needy. The same words that we see in the last stanza of that psalm. So that on the third day, God would raise him up, defeating sin and grave. As we remember that Jesus would have said and sung these very words, these very psalms and these verses on the night of his betrayal, his arrest, the night before he was crucified. He knew that he was about to do this work. And he was the one who would be buried, who would be made low. Then to be lifted from the dust of the grave to the highest place, to be seated at the right hand of the Father who is exalted high above heaven and earth. So as I come into land, the psalm bookends with that command again of hallelujah, praise the Lord. The caring and loving God who comes from the highest heaven to help the lowest of the low is worthy of our praise. Hallelujah. So as we respond by taking communion in a moment, let's remember the praise that our God deserves because of the greatness of his glory and the depths that he went to for our sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.